Welcome to the Before 30 Podcast, inspiring conversations about life and work with your host, Auntie Janine and nephew Trey. Well, welcome to Before 30. This is Auntie Janine. And nephew Trey's in the building. How you doing, Auntie? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's another great day and I'm so happy to be here. I want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, to the Before 30 Podcast today. Absolutely. We've um, we've been touching on a lot of topics. And so uh, I'm super excited about the topic today. You know, throughout the seasons, we've discussed health and we're all about being your best version of yourself, especially in your 20s. And we want you um, to be as prepared as you can for various moments and and phases in life. And so we'll be talking about one of those today. So I'm super excited. But yeah. what's been going on, Auntie? Like, like what's been what you've been Just going through the past few weeks? Still trying to, you know, getting ready for the spring and the summer. I'm excited about that. And, you know, just I'm excited about, you know, I'm always excited about life. Oh, yeah. Even in the busyness of it. I try to find, you know, the I try to look at the silver lining and the rainbows and Absolutely. all of that, the sun, even when it's raining, just trying to find ways to to just manage my happiness and my joy. Look at that optimism. We love yes. it. <laughs> I mean, a T-shirt. I am. I try to be optimistic. I really yeah. do. There's a song by that, right? Uh, there's a song called Be Optimistic. It was, I don't know. Mm. Am I dating myself? Yeah, okay. No, it's it's older. I think okay. I was in my twenties <laughs> when that song came out. Okay. We'll have to find we'll have to play a little of it at the end of the show. Maybe you can find a little. Maybe little, I can find a little well, excerpt. Uh, well, what can we play? Like six seconds <laughs> without I don't having know, to pay the rules or the instrumental or something. We, yes. we gotta figure out what yes. it is. Be optimistic. Um yeah. I can't think Soul to Soul, I think was the name of the was that the name of the group? Soul to Soul, something like that. Soul know. to Soul, yeah. That might have been before me. Yeah, it was before <laughs> your time. It definitely was before you before our listeners' times. But if you have parents who used to listen to secular music all the time, you I might notice. It. You know, might know the show. And I mean, might know the song. So, yeah, what you been up to? Um, just a lot of things. Been kind of busy. So, uh, with You're the like photography graduation business. season, right? Yeah, I would say for, with the photography business, um, things are starting to pick up. But not even graduations, just random shoots. I think that people are starting to become more comfortable doing shoots. So, um, booked my first bat mitzvah. Oh. Um, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. So then... Um, <laughs> Then I'm uh what is the I got a few coming up family shoots springtime's coming up so I think people want to do like family photos spring photos mm. then I have my first um six month old shoot coming up so oh you doing babies done, too I've you know we've done newborns before so we, we get into the baby business <laughs> so y'all be able to look out for baby we got babies out there kids out there let us know we are uh, we y'all are taking doing photos. it all okay y'all yes. full service not just niching down into nah. one particular and if you area. know anybody who's getting married who's getting engaged, I don't know if I trust you with nobody's event. baby tray I'm just gonna say I'm they, they're gonna there. be there. T- the babies love me <laughs> babies love me you, you swallow them make, some- make sure just make sure they're asleep I think that's the key right so newborns in like six months are different. I had to ask my business partner because I haven't shot many. And I was like, wait, what's newborns are like just little, they just, you just hold them. They're, there's really nothing much they, they can do. They will cry, Trey. Right. So, but then they're, they're, half, they're sleeping half the time. But they need to be time. asleep. They need to be yeah, asleep. Yeah, I'm saying they're sleeping half the time. A six mm-hmm. month old, they can function a little bit. So you do have to be able to make them laugh and tickle them. And, yeah. you know, their little personalities are starting to form. So yeah. I'm excited. I don't know. Well, <laughs> Let me see. I, I want to be a fly on the wall at those photo shoots with these children. 
Oh boy, you know. That's and then when they get two, they just don't sit still and just running around. Oh, so you might not be able to get them to smile. <laughs> so you know, my nephew was here. Evan was here um, in January, and he just decided he didn't want to take have his photo taken at all. We went oh, to yeah. the aquarium. Every time the camera came out for a group shot, he would literally turn around. Oh yeah, with them like, you have to you have to bribe them. I, I've had to bribe so many two year olds. Yeah. It was like, well, you get to come in and look at every photo after I take it. So they have to come take every photo. <laughs> you got to say I'm gonna get you something after this. So I leave I leave that to the parents. I'm like, mommy and daddy gonna get you X, Y, and Z. So <laughs> smile for this photo. So yeah, yeah, not you my need problem. treats and snacks. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, you know the other thing. You know, I was saying that I'm ready for the summer and the beach and all of that. And part of that is, you know, I think people start. To to, we we talked about it in January a little bit how you know people start going back to the gym and they're trying to get ready get those summer mm-hmm. bodies ready and I think sometimes you know we we spend so much time focusing on our the, our exterior appearance yep. that we don't check into what's happening internally with us and oftentimes I think maybe with my generation we find out about illness kind of randomly right some people are not going to the doctor regularly you know not getting annual physicals and I think in our 20s we feel so indispensable right our bodies Mm -hmm. feel strong and healthy unless you had um, some sort of illness when you were a child you're probably not even aware of some of the things that even foods that we eat right I love candy but the impact of sugar on our bodies and all of those things what are some of your habits I'm sure you got a couple of things that you might need to or maybe some things that you change because of you know, you well, thinking about long term living for a long time. Yeah, and and, and no, and I, before I get into that, I completely agree with you. I think we, especially kind of today, when we get so many, we have technology, and so many messages are uh, presented to us, whether it's you know through our phones or you know on the internet or through the TV, we see all of these images of what is I don't know beauty or what looks healthy. But to your point, that's all exterior. Like I feel like we don't have enough discussion about what's going on the inside of our bodies. Uh, and for me, I, you know, I'll be honest, something I love eggs. Like I love eggs. You can't tell me I love omelets. Like I, I eat the eggs. So, but then it was like, well, how much can you eat? And what's the impact of eating too much eggs too often? And so, you know, it can impact your cholesterol. So that is one thing I um, am working on is my consumption of eggs. Cutting back on the eggs. Right, got to cut back on It's funny because I didn't even know, and we'll talk about this a little bit more once we get into the show is you don't realize something of a problem until you actually have you know, blood work and certain tests done. And then it's like, oh, you may feel good, but some of these levels are a little off. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. That, that's one thing. What about Just, you? Um, I Mine is candy. candy. I know sugar <laughs> is not good. Um, and it's interesting because when I do research on sugar, I listen to health professionals talk about sugar. You know, it's an acceptable addiction, right? Being addicted to candy and sugar is an acceptable condi- uh, addiction. Um but it's it? so bad for your body. Yeah, because people uh, don't say you're addicted to candy bars. That you know. Okay. <laughs> but it's so bad for your body, especially I think for me, because there is a history 
of mm. diabetes in my family. And I know it like up here. I know it. I yeah. know it exteriorly, like, right. Um, and I see where all of that sugar goes to my gotcha. midsection. Um, so I be wanting to walk around half naked at the beach, but then I I'd be afraid my <laughs> belly is sticking out. And, you know, if I get off the candy, but we'll talk to our professional about that. So today, y'all, we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, our health and well-being, but talking about medical and personal health and our physical health in particular. Right. How should we be taking care of our bodies? Not just the exterior part, but what should we be putting in our bodies and what should we be aware of as it pertains to our health? Because, you know, we want y'all to live long, healthy lives. And if you've ever been around people who are chronically ill or have become ill, been in, you know, hospitals or nursing homes, you will see it is not a fun place, right? That's mm-hmm. why they don't they don't call it the amusement park. They call it the hospital for a reason. <laughs> uh, so Trey's going to introduce our special guest today. I'm so excited yes, to have her I'm on super, here. I'm super excited. I'm, I'm going to give her official bio and then I'm going to do an informal introduction. Um, but her name is Brittany. And Brittany was raised in Florida. She is the only daughter of her two amazing parents and sister to the best brother. Y'all remember that, to the best brother. Those those aren't my words. Uh, Throughout grade school, she was involved in rigorous academic courses and multiple extracurricular activities. She attended the University of Central Florida, and she spent her early 20s as a knight. That is the mascot for the University of Central Florida. She served as president of African-American Student Union, was a member of several nursing organizations, and served as a resident assistant. She received a bachelor's of science in nursing from the University of Central Florida and minored in health science and music. As a registered nurse, she worked on many units and in many and in multiple specialties. She went on to pursue a master's of science in nursing from the University of South Florida, specializing in adult gerontology. Currently, she works as a nurse practitioner at Orlando Heart Institute, extending cardiac care. She is also the owner of a music program, CMB Music LLC. When she is not providing care to her patients and teaching music, she enjoys tutoring, nursing, teaching youth Bible studies, spending time with family and friends, organizing, worshiping, and shopping. She is passionate about caring for others, teaching, and has a special heart for vulnerable populations, especially seniors and individuals without support system. So for those of y'all who haven't uh, kind of uh, realized yet, this is my sister. This is Brittany. Uh, She's amazing. We're super excited to have her on the show. Um, And yeah, we're probably going to have some fun stories. So everyone, welcome cousin Brittany to the show. Hey, Brittany. Welcome. Hi, I'm Janine. How are you? I am well. It's it's so good to have you on the show today. Um, You know, and I just love listening to your bio. I mean, it it tells you how smart you are, but (laughs) how fun you are and how caring you are, right? She is like the perfect package. She's a, a three for one, y'all. So come gentlemen on, out on, there, come, come on. If you're interested, <laughs> go to our YouTube channel. Check out this beauty. You have to get through big you have to get through Big Brother first, but right. uh, you but know Auntie I, I don't Jean mind. is taking applications. <laughs> I don't mind the right brother. She is betting, you know. she's betting all the men. Betting all the men. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Auntie Janine. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, so Brittany, welcome again to the show. Yes. Um, I know we are so happy to have you here today. And 
you know, in all seriousness, our physical health is a very, you know, it's a very serious part, but it doesn't have to be scary. I think it's all about knowledge. So before we jump into the the deep end of the topics, tell us a little bit more about the work you do with your clients um, as a registered nurse. No, you're a nurse practitioner. I am. A nurse (laughs) practitioner, which is, you know, she she went all the way, y'all. She can write prescriptions and everything. She can see you when the doctor is not in the room. All right. Tell us a little bit how you work with your patients, Britt. So, yes, um, I started as a registered nurse working on multiple floors, as uh, Trey mentioned earlier, and multiple specialties. Uh, But actually, Trey was the one that said, you know, I think you'd be a great nurse practitioner. Uh, Somewhere in my early undergraduate um, stages, I was back and forth between MD and nurse practitioner. And I decided I would like to be a nurse um, and then pursue further education and be a provider. Um, Currently, uh, as a nurse practitioner, so I'm working in the cardiac field and the heart which is very important, vital organ. Um, (laughs) We call it cardiology. Um, At one point I was working inpatient and outpatient, but the pandemic kind of switched that a little bit to decrease exposure. I'm just working outpatient. um, So I do see patients independently. um, If I do need a health if I do need assistance from cardiologists, I do. Um, I assess my patients, order diagnostic testing from stress tests to echocardiograms um, and heart catheterizations at time. Um, I um, order or prescribe or order um interventions and then evaluate that. But what is most important and what I love most is actually uh, teaching. And interesting enough, um, population wise, or who do I work with? You think cardiology, right? So I thought, hey, I'm going to work with about age 50 and up, right? Um, but we do have, um, even in the on the adult side, we do have um, teenagers on the higher side of the teenage years um, into their 20s and 30s. So we are seeing the population that you all um, speak to quite a bit. Wow, that's interesting. And you've used a few terms. So just uh, inpatient, outpatient, can you just kind of break that down real quick, what that is? Yes. So originally I was going into the hospital, our inpatient setting, um, the patients are in. So um, in the hospital rounding um, on more acute patients, uh, again, since the pandemic, uh, we have a team that is just set inpatient and a team that is set outpatient. Outpatient is more like your office setting Mm -hmm. where you're coming for your checkups or I don't really want to go to the hospital. So let me try to get in with my provider first to see if they can prescribe medications and I'll feel better before I have to go to the hospital or hopefully don't have to go to the hospital. Okay. Oh, okay. And what so, makes? Wait a minute, Trey. Oh, you, so ahead. Brittany said that you told her she uh, should be <laughs> a nurse practitioner. Um, why? Why was that? I think I know why, but why? You asking me or you asking? Yes, me? I'm asking you. Why did you tell Brittany? She should be a nurse practitioner. Well, so I'm not gonna put all my sister business on it, but just a little bit. Brittany uh, (laughs) took a little bit longer in school because she was a little indecisive. So she took, you know, a little bit more than four years because she was really so did I. Right, I did too. I took four and a half. But uh, so it took her a little bit longer because she was really trying to figure out what I think space in the health, what space she wanted to go into in the health field. And so I think she took her time and she. Uh, really made the best decision when that was for her. But I just knew that her the way she cares for people um, 
was great and I really wanted her to have the greatest impact. And so nurse being a registered nurse is great, but I just also encourage it, like don't limit yourself there. Um, if you can have a greater impact as a nurse practitioner, um, really pursue that. And all it'll give you many, it'll give you more options. You can always yeah. go back and serve as a registered nurse, but mm -hmm. um, go as far as you can so you can have the greatest impact. Yeah, and make more money. Come all on. right. I think that's what it was about, y'all. So done with you. <laughs> But but I did have a question for Brittany. Um, why did you get into the health field? Like your parents aren't in the health field. I'm a CPA. None of uh, you know. I don't touch. I didn't take any real science classes. So tell everyone why you really got into the health field. Well, since I was little, I believe I was five. I told my mom I wanted to be a pediatrician. So that's a complete stretch for me going from pediatrician to gerontology. And gerontology is usually age sixty-five and older. But when I was little, I just I wanted to help other I, help others. I was the one when someone got a cut in the house. I went to get the peroxide. I went to get the uh, band aids, even if it was a little cut. I was that person, you know, to check temperatures. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be in the health field. I had no idea about it. And actually to think about a nurse, um, I didn't actually know what an RN did inpatient in the hospital. Only experience I really had with nurses were in the doctor's office. So I didn't see them really, you know, titrating or, or changing medications, giving medications, um, but it's something that I knew that I would all, I always wanted to do. I didn't have anyone in the family close. Um, and actually, I, I take that back a little bit because my aunt Tammy, um, she um, is no longer with us, but she was actually a CNA. And so she cared. So maybe I got that from her and she would take care of, of people quite well. So um, and I, I think what touched my heart most and what kind of led me to the cardiology route and my uh, sophomore year of college, um, my father was diagnosed with heart failure. I had at the time had no idea. Right now I could diagnose this from head to toe. Um, had no idea what was going on with him. I was just getting phone calls from my mother um, and he had an awesome cardiologist, awesome cardiologist. And that led me to the cardiac field. And I believe what actually sealed the nurse practitioner field was um, I continued with my with my pediatrician till I was 21. So I maximized that out. By the <laughs> <way>. <laughs> I didn't switch. You know, it was a little more comfortable. Had the balloons on the wall and the pictures of Lion King. So I, <laughs> I stayed there. But um, actually, there was something that came up. You start kind of getting blood work, you know, once you hit that 18, 19 year old stage. And something came up in my blood work um, in Fort Myers at the time. I would go back home. It was once a year. And the pediatrician, it was a nurse practitioner. It wasn't my pediatrician at the time. She actually called me and said something was abnormal. You know, I'm in college living my best life. And I was just, you know, the news that I got was horrific. And um, I actually, you know, no shame about sharing, but one of my cells could have indicated that I had leukemia, which was a, a, a form of, is a form of cancer. So I'm like, listen, call my mom. And she's like, well, honey, we can't call your mom anymore. You kind of have to give us permission. And right, <laughs> oh my goodness, okay. So we got that all set up and actually um, she arranged for me to be seen by an awesome um, hematologist, uh, which works with blood disorders and cancer disorders up in Orlando. I was able to see that physician um, and actually I thank God I did not have leukemia. It was something that is actually very common in the African-American um, or black um, and, and our ethnic group. And it's just a chronic low white blood cell count. Some of our white blood cell counts are low, but she 
was, she didn't take chances. And I thought as a nurse practitioner for her to arrange for my mom to come up, she just really filled in all the pieces. You could have thrown that to a caseworker or to a nurse, but she was instrumental in that role. And I believe my, my, my parents, my family, my brother is all happy today because of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's nice. talk a little bit about our audience. So what information should someone before 30 know about their physical health and how important is their family history in them making medical decisions or life decisions that could impact their physical health? Awesome. Um, Jenny, great question. So definitely their allergies, right? Many of us have allergies or and we don't know what happened during that allergy, right? If, whether it's penicillin, amoxicillin, your mom tell you, oh yeah, you had an antibiotic and you're allergic to that. Well, mom, did I almost die? Did I get a rash? You know, and now that I'm 20 and 30, if I have to go to the doctor and they want to give me a medication, all I say is this, this allergy. So, you know, while your parents are here, you know, hopefully they remember, mom, what were my allergies? Did I have allergies as a child? Because that'll stay with you forever. So that's important. Um, any genetic disorders or any disorders that are um, familial or that are very common, maybe grandma had them, mom had it. Okay, so maybe I may end up mm -hmm. with it. So we know that many people get diseases or conditions or disorders um, from either family history, idiopathic means we just don't know why, or environmental, right? Mm -hmm. You ate the wrong food, you eat <clears throat> something that you shouldn't. So one thing that we can control, well, two things we can control is environmental, but definitely family and getting on top of that early, good prevention early. So many of our cancers are actually familial. Cancers like our colon cancer, mm. um, our breast cancer, ovarian cancer. Um, and two of those I mentioned are women, you know, female um, cancers that are pretty or prevalent in female or ovarian and breast cancers. Um, and then I have to mention sickle cell, right? Uh, we hear about that. Some of us hear about mm -hmm. that. But if you really haven't dealt with sickle cell, and sickle cell is very common in the Black community, right? And usually by the age of 10 or 20, even before you realize that you have sickle cell. But why am I mentioning? Of course, anybody with sickle cell would say, well, because it's painful. You should mention it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in our 20s, we, we could be, you know, forming children or having children, right? Um, in our 20s and our 30s. And depending on your trait, rather you have a recessive, that means a minor trait of it, or a dominant trait, you and your significant other, your husband, your wife coming together to make a child could create a child with sickle cell. Mm -hmm. um, so knowing if you have a sickle cell trait or, you know, usually if you have a dominant trait, you know, because you've had symptoms in your life. Um, but that's very important to look up sickle cell. Yeah. I have wow. a friend, my brother's one of my brother's best friends growing up. He and his wife have three kids and I think two of them has sickle cell. Um, mm. the oldest and the youngest, I believe. Um, and the youngest is a daughter. She just graduated from high school and it's a very painful disease. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think as long as it's been around, I think the advocacy around it has, is there's some challenges related to it because it's so painful. Um, but yeah, so you, you don't know, but they didn't, you know, they, they didn't know they had the traits until they got married and had their first child. Yes. 
So it wasn't yeah. until the, but they didn't stop having babies. So. Right. And not that it'll change your, <laughs> change your decision. It, it wouldn't, um, you know, if you spoke with someone who has sickle cell, they may definitely say, I advise you getting tested. No, you know, we wouldn't want a child to go through this, but, or someone to go through this, but um, sometimes it wouldn't, but I like to just bring that to your awareness because, you know, sometimes we don't hear about it. And then from my heart side, of course, I always have to touch on the heart and cardiac. What should our 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds or even before that age group know? Know that if know if there's been sudden death in your family. If someone mm. just dropped dead yeah. and there's no idea, especially in their 40s or 50s, because did they have an enlarged heart, right? Especially with our young athletes, right? In college. Mm. And do you have a large heart or, you know, a cardiomyopathy, a thickened heart, um, you know, or is your heart not pumping well? Um, do you have valve disorders? So any heart disorders, um, it's not enough at this time to go to the doctor and say, my dad or my mom has a heart disease. What heart disease? Try as best as you can to find out. Is it a valvular disease? You know, is it a, a, a pumping? Is there a problem with the heart pumping or the electrical system of the heart? Details are important. So you, you've talked a lot about like family history and knowing kind of your your family's history because that can impact your health. Um, like, how do you even go about that process? I feel like sometimes within certain families, um, that information is very private and someone may not want to share the details of, of their health, uh, maybe with their children or, or other family members. So like how, what would be your recommendation um, for someone who is really trying to own their health in their young adult life but to, to try to get that family um, medical history? Great question. Um, so definitely talking or speaking with your mom and dad. So we call that a first degree relatives, brothers, sisters. Grandma is great. Um, we start to build a trend. Um, but sit down and talk with them. First, have the conversation. You know, I believe that most parents, if not all, um, don't want their children to have to suffer or go through something that could have been prevented. Um, so, you know, hey, mom, dad, I, I'm going to the doctor's office. Usually they'll, they'll email you a long list. It says, what's your family history before you show up? <laughs> That's a great opportunity, right? You don't want to have to sit in, in the waiting room filling that out. So just go down at home, go to mom and dad's house and say, mom, I have to fill this out. What did, what did, do you have heart disease, this disease, that disease? And right, and sometimes our parents, for some reason, don't like to share things with us, right? We don't want to bother our children. Um, and so that's where a barrier, that's a barrier that we have to cross over. So that's one example, though, if your parents are willing versus, hey, I just want your business. I need to fill this out. My doctor's going to want this to know what I need tested. The other is to be involved in your parents' health care, right? We don't want to have, we don't sometimes want to go to the doctor and sit in the waiting room, have to go back. So, hey, mom, I'm taking you to your appointment. Oh, nope, it's perfectly fine. You're not inconveniencing me. Try to get in the back door, right? <laughs> Try to get in the back door. Um, your parents will probably actually love that unless they really kind of have something they don't want you to know. They don't want to bother you to take you to the doctor. So that's another way to kind of push through and, and to get in the back. And then other family members you can talk to, you know, grandma, siblings. Um, and if you're having trouble, you know, get with your siblings. My brother and I are pretty close. You know, sometimes <laughs> we have to tag team the parents. The parents tag teamed us growing up. So you get together and you come up with a strategic plan. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I never went to the doctor with my mom until I don't recall ever going to the doctor with her until she was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I was right there. Like, 
Wow. It was like, you know, it was a response to the crisis. Uh, and it's interesting because my mom was only 21 years older than I was. So she was in her 40s when I was an adult. So all of these conversations I could have had. But I think I found out about family history when someone got sick. Oh, it wasn't absolutely. anything that we sat down and talked about. Um, and then you have to know about both sides of your family. So I learned a lot about my dad's side, the women on my dad's side of the family and things that they dealt with um, from a health and wellness standpoint versus, you know, my, you know, my mom was easy. My mother was quick to give information. Right. My father's side, I had to specifically like ask well, what happened to them? Why did they die? What, you know, to get that history. And so, which leads me to my next question, you know, what sort of messages do we hear and see as children that kind of inform or impact our views around our physical health? Wow. And, and maybe sure. even go into the doctor regularly. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's very important. Um, for me, I have had a chronic fear of leaving a job because of insurance, right? Mm. Hey, I, I'm not going to go from one job to the next job. I mean, I'm not going to go um, leave my job without having an, another job. And some people would think that's related to finances. But because of the upbringing that I had that my, my father just really pushing us like, you, you will have health insurance at all times. He always had health insurance for us. Um, and that was established in us. So, you know, as I got older, you know, in my first job or when I transitioned off my parents' insurance, um, you know, I always thought I have to stay at a job because of my health insurance, you know, because I didn't really seek, I didn't see him seek health insurance outside of a job. So that was my primary method. So that really impacted me as a child is that you are always covered. It's like having a car. You always have to have car insurance. It, it, that's not, it's not questionable, you know? And when I was young, I didn't understand that some people do not have access to healthcare. You know, I, I just, this is the way. Um, I believe you're, what you're eating or what you're ingesting in your body. Are we stopping at McDonald's all the time? Are we eating um, home cooked meals? What type of juices are we drinking or beverages are we drinking? Are they sugar drinks? Um, is it water a lot? I believe that definitely carries over. And then physical health, right? Do I see my parents exercise? Um, so are, are they encouraging me or pushing me to be in a physical activity? Um, mm -hmm. Are you in physical activities at school? You know, I know at one point physical education, it decreased a little bit in the arts, but you know, how often are you involved in that? So I do believe as a child establishing that physical health, it is hard to begin an exercise regimen mm -hmm. in your twenties and thirties if you really have not been exposed to that as a child. And what I heard you say this one time, if, if it sits on the shelf for like if it can sit oh, on the shelf for like, <laughs> what did you say? What, what was your little right. rule of thumb? Right, so this is something that I educate my patients. You know, I always have to think of amazing, you know, tricks or analogies. But, you know, when it comes to salt intake, right? Yeah. I, are you take, do you eat salt? You know, Trey, Janine, do you eat salt? And my question, the answer is usually, oh, I don't put salt on my food, right? It's a right. salt shaker. Ooh. Um. Okay, there is salt in foods without you putting salt on your food, right? <laughs> And so my, my, usually my scenario is I used to say three to six months, 
anything that can sit in your pantry for three to six months has probably so much salt and preservative to be able to keep that right from rotting. Mm -hmm. Um, So just look at the back. I wish I I probably should have brought a little um, tomato can with me, show you the back or sauces. There's copious there's a lot of salt in that and now I've actually gone down to one month you know I used to say three to six months but I even say like if it can stay in your pantry for one month there's a lot of salt um and that's why you know our fresh foods go bad they don't have that salt in there Mm. to just keep it yes I bought some rice and it's like this Spanish Spanish rice Mm -hmm. um and for like taco night so we had taco night on Friday but I bought it weeks ago Thought it was like a dry rice mm-hmm. and it wasn't. So it was already cooked. Oh. It had all the seasoning in it. And all you had to do was like tear a little, put it in a microwave for 90 minutes and serve it. My brain was just like going, going, going like, well, what do they have to? And the first thing I said while everybody's standing around <laughs> waiting for me to pour it in the bottle, I was like, what do they have to put in here so that it preserved. And then what is it going to do when it gets in our body? Right. I'm serving it because yeah. I'm having, cause I've never seen anything like that before. You know, and I think that's the thing with food. We made food so convenient for people mm-hmm. that we've got foods in the, in the grocery store that were not in the grocery store five years ago, 10 years ago, or even 25 years ago when I was, you know, a teenager and in my twenties that we're eating all kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, Janine, on that question, too, you you mentioned tacos. So if you don't mind me asking, what went on those tacos? Or or did you mention, so you had rice? Can you go over so, anything? Else? Well, <laughs> nobody really ate the rice after I talked, talked oh, about okay. it. Oh, I, I tasted it and I was like, I can't even eat this. Um, so we had chicken and black bean. We had chicken that I made, um, yeah. like I slow roasted it. Uh, we had black beans that I okay. cooked in season, but they were dry black beans. And okay. we had tomatoes and peppers, um, fresh homemade guacamole. I made the guac. Okay. We did buy the salsa. So that probably had some preservatives in it because it didn't expire until May. We're coming over your house. We're coming over your house for next taco night. <laughs> so I think, yeah. you know, all of those things, like, and I do pay attention to that. Like, okay. I, I don't make salsa, so I will buy my salsa. Okay. Um, but, you know, so I try to buy and eat fresh foods. However, you do have another analogy about, uh, so you have your sugar analogy, you have your uh, preservative analogy, and you have your fried food analogy. Why don't you share that with everybody? Yes, yes. that's where I get Breaking guilty. that down. I'm so <laughs> excited that you cooked your black beans fresh and didn't use the canned black beans. Excellent. And if I do use canned beans, which I do sometimes, Brittany, I try to rinse them. Yes, like two or three times. Okay, all right. I'll I'll raise that up to three times. I just take the sprayer and try to get all that stuff (laughs) off of them. (laughs) Great. So the French fry analogy, yes. Um, I guess the fried food. A lot of analogies with with educating my my patients. So, um. I just break down quickly. You know, there's three main three main problems that happen with the heart. I just love talking about the heart. There's electrical system, electrical problems, which happen commonly in our younger population. Um, our, our heart actually has an electrical system, right? The way it kind of beats and goes. And then it pumps, right? 
you hear heart failure sometimes, the heart pumps and it has valves in there. And then lastly, uh, which we commonly hear about if someone kind of has a heart attack um, or you hear blockages, right? We have arteries, just like in your veins, you have arteries in your heart. And when those arteries get built up and sometimes I'll use the word plaque and it's like plaque, like plaque in my teeth, plaque. And I was like, French fries, right? Right. French fry buildup in your heart. And I'll sometimes use that to help describe some of the foods that can lead to that buildup in your heart. Some of the fried foods or that can increase. Trey definitely mentioned earlier, I believe, cholesterol levels Mm -hmm. are tried glycerides. Um, and we have pretty much four different levels that usually come out. Our total cholesterol, our HDL, our LDL, and our triglycerides. So um, those bad cholesterols building up usually from certain oils, from our uh, fried foods, and from certain potato chips and french fries eventually like to build up in our little heart. Of course, calcium and other things form in there. And when the blood can't flow through because the French fry takes the place of that, then you have a heart attack. Your heart can't get blood flow. Ooh, that's horrible. Wow. Yes. French fries and heart attacks. <laughs> I love French fries too. Wow. Don't, don't so, think that if you don't eat French fries, if I exclude French fries, that I won't ever have a heart attack. So this is what I do. So tell me if this is a little bit better. So you know how when you go fast food, they put all the salt on the French fries. So I always have them remove the salt. Am I helping myself a little bit or am I still struggling? So great question. And and you know what? I actually get this quite a bit a lot. I think Aunt Janine mentioned diabetes earlier. I just want to set something just a little clear. They all kind of work together. But okay. a lot of times, like you say, hey, I don't want salt. So understand usually just to so I edu- educate on this. Diabetes is usually a sugar or carb mm-hmm. issue. Okay. Mm. So some people say, oh, stop eating all that salt. You know, you have diabetes. Well, yeah, it ends up kind of all working together, but um, let's more so like Aunt Janine loves her sweets. Let's keep the sweets away from there. Um, and then, so your salt, then you have a salt issue, right? right. You're putting the salt on there, which usually kind of leads to hypertension or high blood pressure. Right. And then you have your French fries. Right. And some of which is still a starch um, that can also worsen your diabetes because it's still a starch, but also with the triglycerides and fats that in the oils that are put in there, they are still fry, They are still cooking those French fries and who knows what oil. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, you know, and you can't eat French fries. Well, I do without. A fry, a piece of fried chicken, chicken tender, a fried <laughs> beef, like a hamburger, all of that. Something, stuff is something fried. else that's not good for you, right? Right, yeah. Trey. So, so you probably yeah. saved yourself a few years from the high blood pressure, I, <laughs> but uh, the arteries are getting a little bit of French fries and black gotcha. in them. <laughs> so, Brittany, do you see that men and women view their physical health differently? Wow, great question. So I, I don't want to get attacked. I'm I'm I you know I'm maybe a little biased to females, but <laughs> <laughs> do I see that they see their health different? That's a hard question because what I do see in healthcare is that our males, and this is most, not everyone, um, our males you know, it's hard to say they see it differently, but they may not articulate it or they may not 
come out and outwardly say it. Do I think they're thinking about their health? I really do. But you think about our men in society. One, from when they're little, you know, they're, they're taught probably let's not express your, your pain or emotions as much. Um, so do they run to the office, you know, when they have chest pain or something's wrong? Not necessarily. And then think about it secondly, um, you know, their providers. I've literally had a male patient whose heart was pumping at 25%, which is very low. Um, he really kind of needed a defibrillator, something in him to shock him. And he came into the office and asked, may I have a release note back to work? You know, I'm like, listen, but he's the provider for his family. Um, so do I think if, if we were to remove all of those barriers and other thoughts, you know, remove the fear of not being able to express their feelings or seek health care, you know, mm -hmm. afraid to, you know, be seen differently or, you know, that provider role or that strong role, um, I believe that they would seek health care a little bit more. Usually my male patients come after being pushed by sadly a family member or a female family member, or when they just know I may not wake up tomorrow. And again, that's not everyone, but that's that. Mm -hmm. So let's look at our females, our women, right? Um, so you think your, your women are more concerned. I have to be here for my children tomorrow, right? I, I have to live tomorrow. We're, we, we're thinking, of, we're a little bit worried. For me, I have to be here for mom and dad tomorrow. I love Trey, um, but Trey <laughs> doesn't have a background in, you know, <laughs> in health and, and, and right? So I, I'm always thinking, I don't have kids now, but if something happens, I got to be down to mom and dad. I have to be at the hospital with them, you know, ready to go. So as far as my health, and I articulate this, you know, whether I'm at a job anywhere, you know, I have two little older, you know, kids at home and those are my parents <laughs> that I have to be there for. So women readily seek and which is, a, I don't want to say a pro and a con, but I'm sure we've kind of heard of, you know, women seek healthcare too much, you know, um, their, their feelings aren't really taken seriously. Sometimes, you know, there's kind of that, that kind of stereotype that's kind of out there because, you know, if my heart's hurting, it's not that I want to, you know, cry wolf, but I want to make sure that I'm going to be here tomorrow. Right. Um, so I, I, do they view it differently? I, I, I guess I can say that in, in terms of men may put health secondary because they are putting things like pro being a provider mm -hmm. um, primary and for women, mm -hmm. you know, they're concerned about them and their family because they're thinking about the outcome that could happen gotcha. if something's wrong. Yeah. Gotcha. And question for you, as it relates to mm -hmm. kind of maybe some of your patients and what you've noticed, have you seen a theme with how minorities prioritize um, their health? Um, versus those that are non-minorities? So we're going to get one thing clear. We're, we will not be using the word minority on this podcast because we're oh, you use minority. Black? Yes, because let's call well, a I thing think, a thing. So, I think, so um, I also, can I finish? minority too? is an antiquated idea. No, Trey, not minorities. I do DNI work. We do not talk about minorities. Because we're we black. Don't we, that, we don't use that term. No, we don't use that term. We don't use that term, sir. Okay. Oh, can I? So who are we talking use, about specifically? Can we do black and Latino? Yes. If we're talking black about and black Latino. and Latinos, let's talk about black and Latinos. Black and, uh, black and Latinos. Awesome. All right. <laughs> so we have this established black and Latinos. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, do they view? So I, if, if it's okay, Anjani, I'm actually going to add a little bit to that plus it's a, and socioeconomic status. Yes. This is going right. a lot of different ways, right? Yes. Um. But to answer your question, um, I do see differences. And again, we're going to we're going to go back to some of those barriers um, first. All right. And one, 
access to healthcare? You know, are they self-paid? Do they mm-hmm. have insurance, access to health insurance? And so mm-hmm. you could think you may think that, okay, my patient didn't follow up. Oh my goodness, they're non-compliant. They don't care about their health, right? Well, maybe they paid the actual amount, you know, maybe they didn't have a copay and they couldn't come back. Um, the other thing is taking time off work. You know, when are most of our labs for blood work open? Um, when are our doctor's offices open? Thank goodness now we have a lot on Saturday mornings. But if I have to work eight to five and, you know, I don't have benefits or PTO, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Maybe I just can't get in. And so things get worse. And at that time, we're, we're visiting the ED, which does have, you know, hours that accommodate my schedule or urgent care. So first, the barriers with some of our socioeconomic and even our minorities. Now, to go to the next um, stage, um, I will say uh, we will go black and minorities, but I mean, I'm sorry, black and Latinos, I am going to have to split those two. Personally, Mm -hmm. I have seen that our Latinos are more on top of their health care than our blacks. I have to say that. And that was one thing that concerned me coming into um, as I, you know, made my way into um, the healthcare field. And um, I didn't know why I actually, you know, reached out to several different elders and even younger people to ask, why is this? So, um, and one thing I, 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 I want to say is I think that a lot of Latinos, whenever they come to the office, and I will I remember when I speak, this is just kind of, you know, I don't want to like stereotype and this is just an overview because, you know, I have some blacks that are completely on top of their health. Right. Um, But they usually have someone or will identify somebody in the family that is in the healthcare field all the time when they come in, they're saying, you know, yes, my aunt or my sister or my great, great, great or my, my cousin of my, my 10th cousin, oh, she's a nurse practitioner. So they've called them, they've reached out to them. So when they show up, you know, they're well-educated or they, they, it doesn't matter their socioeconomic status. If they have to reach someone that is overseas to find out about their health, they will. And I would love for us in the black community to do that. You know, if you go find out that person that's in your church group, I have a few questions so that I can be a little more educated on my health. So I do see a difference when it comes um, to um, the information that they've gotten to go out and further dig and die and find out more about their information. And again, it's not everyone. It's just something, a common factor that I've seen. But what we can I've heard in that though, and Trey, you and I've talked about this a lot. It's that willingness to be vulnerable um, and yeah. also to seek and ask help. And there just seems to be this thing in the Black community. It's like, if I ask you, then you're going to be in my business. And I don't want anybody to know what I'm going through. However, I do feel like our younger, and I could be wrong. I definitely know that that is you know, the take um, from my generation and, and people older than me. Um, Trey, I don't know about you or, and definitely, I think I see my niece be a lot more, Jasmine is a lot more open and transparent about yeah. about her health, her mental health, what she needs. Um, so I think people under the age of 30 may talk about it a little bit more. It's about, but I think for them too, is like, where do you get that information? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty open about it. And I think too, you realize too, there's another component. I think when you start being in relationship with people, there that vulnerability aspect as well is, you know, I'm getting to know someone. I may um, 
you know, we may start forming a life together. I, you need to know my medical history. I need to know your medical history, what we're bring, what we're both bringing to the table. So, but generationally, I would say my group of friends are typically pretty open. Um, there has to be that trust level there, but I think once that's established, mm-hmm. people are usually pretty open. Well, this has been really, really great. I do have one more question before we wrap up. I think just we talked about parents and being involved with our parents and their health. Can you talk a little bit for us kind of briefly about medical directives and what people should know Mm. about them? If we get if you get sick or if you're a family member that you are responsible for caring for um, if they if they fall ill. Medical directives. um, So I'm. You may have heard the term DNR, DNI, healthcare proxy. So what is a DNR? DNRs do not resuscitate, right? If if I naturally go, if it's my time, you know, don't pump on my chest, don't bring me back. It's my time to go. Let me go peacefully. I don't want, you know, any extra measures, you know, of resuscitation to bring me back. I have DNI that's not as commonly heard, but DNI means do not intubate me. You know, you can resuscitate me in other measures, but I don't want to be intubated. And some have fear of intubation. Am I going to be left on a ventilator or for whatever reason? But it means do not put a tube down my throat to help me breathe. Um, and then healthcare proxies. That's actually a big one. And usually in our 20s and 30s, we don't really have healthcare proxies. Why? Because we don't think anything is going to happen to us at this age. And a healthcare proxy is someone to make decisions for your health. For your health, that does not mean your estate or and everything else. For your health, when you are unable to make that decision, and commonly we see that um, in patients who may end up being intubated or you know have had a stroke and unable to make certain decisions health-wise, um, you know mentally or or be able to um, communicate with that. So as a twenty or thirty-year-old or you know before that, wh- what is your role in this? Um, well, I still believe that you should have a healthcare proxy, right? We do have, you know, fluke incidents where, um, you know, motor vehicle accidents is very common um, within in the younger age group. Um, and if that happens, usually your mom would assume care for you. But, you know, if you do have a significant other and that significant other is important in your life and you're not married to them, but you want them to make the decision for you, whoever you want to make the healthcare decisions for you or someone that you know is educated in that area. Um, but also uh, for your parents, right? Um, especially if you have multiple, multiple siblings, sometimes we'll go to the oldest first when it comes to healthcare proxy, if it hasn't been um, designated, um, you know, between, you know, Trey and myself, I'm, I'm sure we'd probably work together with that. Um, but, you know, I would probably assume kind of that role. I would definitely, um, you know, talk to Trey about it, but be able to bring some of the expertise in that. So assuming who will make the decisions for mom and dad if um, they are unable to communicate with us. Does mom and dad want to be intubated? Do they want to be on a ventilator for for 90 days or 100 days? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's important because without healthcare proxies and without advanced directives, it's sad to say, um, Anjanine, that I have seen families go through breakups during that time. And that should be the time that they should be together most. I'm glad you said that. Thank you, Brittany. No, on that note, um, 
But on that a high note, lot. we like to yes, end on a high right. note. Yeah. Yes, I know. I was, so I any closing know. words, Brittany? Trend any closing words? Out. One, a few note. things that I want for my 30 and under um, or, you know, your yeah. main group. Do not mix alcohol and acetaminophen, Tylenol together. Which, <laughs> so I know we mentioned what are, what are a few things that you should be, you know, really, you know, concerned about at this age. Leave the Tylenol alone while you're drinking. I do not want your liver to shut down. Um, remember that the decisions that you make now, smoking, drinking, and drugs, especially I, I have a conversation with a lot of my, you know, 20-year-olds that come in and they're like, oh, I'm just smoking, you know, marijuana or something. What's in all of that? Who, who made it? Who grew it? You don't know. So be very careful what you're ingesting. Um, and remember, decisions that you make today um, can affect you later in life. We can see that earlier in your 40s and 50s versus us seeing something in your 80s. Don't be afraid to get a second opinion for you mm and your family members, right? Um, it's not showing a lack of loyalty to your provider, but remember, I want you to own your health, educate yourself. A big one is don't take a break in um, your your care and your health from your provider. So going from a pediatrician, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is to find an adult adult practitioner, right? Especially when you move and relocate. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's hard. Yes. And a lot of our college campuses actually have healthcare right there on, they have providers. Um, But yes, as we start to get into our first um, job, our course, you know, right, nothing's going to happen to us right now. So make sure that you establish, especially if you have the means and the access to healthcare, establish with a provider. Aunt Janine, I have advice for you (laughs) with the sweets, right? (laughs) So eat out, don't bring in. That's a big one. If you want ice cream, if you want cake, don't go to the store to bring the the cake in. You know, that's just a day. And why do we do that? It's cheaper, right? Mm -hmm. I'm able to spend $10 on this cake. But if I went out to the cheesecake factory, I'm going to spend $10 just on a slice. But eat those foods that you don't want in your house that you're consuming all the time. Those sweets, tray, those French fries. Eat them out, don't bring them in. So set realistic goals and exercise. I definitely have to hit the exercise. Young adults, as long as it's safe, right? You're not having chest pain. You should be exercising at least 30 minutes, five days a week. And that's Mm -hmm. a moderate intensity, a brisk walk. If you're full out going on the treadmill, then you really only need 15 minutes, but make sure you're doing that. Um, And yes, I I think that is um, the most early. Those are some great tips. Yeah, yeah, those are great tips. Those are great tips. <laughs> See how she Perfect. called me out? Oh, yes. And then I also have to put up a plug in here for my sister as well. She started her music business. So she is actually really into the arts. So outside of her job in the healthcare field, she loves teaching people about music. So if you are looking, if people are looking to learn more about you or your music business, Brittany, um, or just more about you, where can they reach out? How can they find out more about you? Yeah, so visit our website, cvmusicllc.com. What does the C and V stand for? C stands for creative and V stands for versatile. So um, cvmusicllc.com. You can definitely email me at or our team at cvmusicllc at gmail.com or give us a call, 407 634 
1-800-242-6114. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram, <laughs> TV Music LSD. I just love Brittany. Love Brittany, it. you bring all the energy this morning, especially I to Trey it. and I, who, you know, we have a love-hate relationship with morning. So you brought yeah, all, morning. I know, you brought all the... Um, all the energy. So you all, we want to thank you for listening to the show today. You can find out more information about Brittany, um, both on our social media um, pages, as well as in this podcast, look in the show notes, you'll have all of her information on how to get in touch with her. And if you're in the Orlando area and looking for music lessons and also a great medical professional, you can find all that information in the show notes. We just want to thank you all again for listening. And just remember on the Before 30 podcast, you are a masterpiece and a work in progress. Thank you for listening to the Before 30 podcast. Help us grow by subscribing and commenting on today's show. The Before 30 podcast is owned and operated by Before 30 LLC. Be sure to connect with us on our website at before-30.com and follow and like us at Before 30 on all social media platforms.